a year of hope. Jeremiah, he has been nicknamed as the weeping prophet. That means he cries a lot. And yet, strangely, his book uh, gives a lot of hope to many people. For a person whose ministry oftentimes is characterized by a lot of tears, yet it becomes such a great book on hope. And so today, we are also going to look at the passage that he gave to his people in chapter 29 of Jeremiah. Before we read chapter 29, uh, I'm going to read basically from verse 4 onwards. Before we read chapter 29 of Jeremiah, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background because the passage that we are going to read from is actually a letter. A letter which Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah lived at one of... In fact, the most difficult period of the history of his nation, Israel, because he lived at the time when he will see with his very own eyes the complete destruction of his country and whereby the majority of his people will be deported and exiled, taken away by force into a strange land. And you must understand that in those days, people hardly travel because traveling is not easy. And I accept that if you are maybe a a trader or whatever, then you you have to travel. But most people basically live and die and uh, stay around the same place. And uh, the the biggest thing that they will ever do is maybe marry someone from the the village uh, that is next to them. But other than that, they really hardly travel. And so for that period of time, to to even be... uh, removed from your country and taken to another place is actually a very horrifying uh, and traumatic experience because you don't know what to expect. You don't know what life would be like. Now, you know, you just Google, you know, and you know what life would be like. At least uh, they give it to you in writing. Then you have lots of photos to tell you what the place looks like. And then you can uh, look at all the comments and reviews of people who have been there, uh, which give you, you know, a... a lot of uh, assurance uh, and you can find out what's the temperature like, what's the weather like uh, for you to prepare. But in those days, in the days of Jeremiah, you have absolutely no information because the people that you know most likely have never been there. So nobody can tell you what life is like. And furthermore, this is not like you are migrating and uh, moving to a nice country uh, where you'll be welcomed uh, by relatives there. No, you are going to be taken to a place by force, against your will, by the enemies of your nation. And so Jeremiah lived during that time period. And he had already witnessed several deportations because the Babylonians who came to conquer their country uh, didn't do everything one shot. They didn't just come, you know, uh, wipe out everything and then take the people away. No, they, they come uh, by waves. Uh, they come one time and then they look around the place and because they are much, much mightier and stronger than Israel, they can basically march in. And uh, Israel will actually basically have to open the doors and welcome them. And then they will look around and uh, whatever they don't like, they will change. Like, I don't like your king. Remove him. And that's it. They just removed the king. And uh, they decided, 
Who else do you want to put there? Okay, I like you. Yeah, okay, you become king. And then they put his uncle there. That was how powerful Babylon is. And then when they remove the king, they don't let him stay in his own country. They say, you follow us back to Babylon. And then they will look around at some officials that maybe they don't like. You look too strong. You too. You and, you and your family. You too. And then they just basically pick whoever they like and uh, take them back as prisoners. But uh, the, only, the good thing is that when they take them back to Babylon, they actually let them, set them free and, and let them live there. Just that you can't get, go back to your own country. So Jeremiah had already witnessed a couple of these things happening. Whereby the Babylonians would come, take some leaders, remove whoever they don't like, who is in leadership, and then take them. And so they were already a, quite a big group of people that was, have already been taken away from Israel and uh, put in Babylon. Among them would be people like Daniel. Because Daniel was one of those early ones that was taken away. And uh, because most likely he was of noble birth. And so people like him, like Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, the one who wrote the book of Ezekiel. Uh, the, Ezekiel was from a priestly line, but also most likely they are the, the leaders, the religious leaders. So all these influential, powerful people, they were all removed and they were all taken into Babylon. And so with this sizable, quite a, a big group of people in Babylon who has already been taken there and then the policy of the Babylonians is that once they take you and force you to leave your country and once you reach Babylon, they don't put you in prison. Why? Why would they want to feed you free of charge and, waste and uh, take up uh, precious space? They are not going to do that. Basically, once you reach there and they will say, okay, look, that's it. You just survive on your own. You survive, good, that's good. You don't survive, too bad. And so many of these people, they will actually be allowed to bring with them whatever they could carry. You know, gold bars, silver bars, whatever, jewelry. You can't carry your house. You can't carry your land. But whatever you can take with you, you take. So some of them actually take, you know, quite a bit with them to Babylon. And then once they are there, they are expected to survive on their own. But for the people who were taken there, they basically didn't want to settle down. They hated the country. Why? This is enemy territory. Why do they want to, to settle down here? Secondly, is they don't know the language. They don't even know what these foreigners are talking. You know, they can't even go out to buy some vegetables uh, with, with, without difficulty. And if you ever go out of wherever you're staying and uh, you get lost, you can't even ask directions for your, for your way back because you don't, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to, you don't know language. Life was absolutely frustrating. And you know, for people, you're not used to the food. Whatever spices you want to buy, you cannot buy. Whatever food you want to buy, you're used to, you cannot buy. And so they hated the life there. And all they wanted to do was go home. They just wanted to go home. And so this news of the condition of the people got back to Jerusalem, where Jeremiah was. Jeremiah and uh, you know, the rest of the nation were still there in Jerusalem, but you have this group of people in Babylon. So when Jeremiah heard about what is happening to that group of people, his people, all right, who, are, who refused to settle down. 
and who are having a hard time surviving in Babylon, God asked Jeremiah to write this letter to them. We are going to read this letter. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to me, to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, this evening we ask, Lord, that you will use what you have spoken through Jeremiah to your people so many, many years ago. Lord, that you will speak to us. For your word is recorded and written for a purpose so that in the every generation of people who call upon your name, that we may understand your ways and your guidance and your direction for our present life. We ask that you will speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you go back and read this letter one more time, or if you have your Bible, you know, do keep it open. <clears throat> this letter is basically a letter that God directs Jeremiah to write. And so you can be sure that the, the, the commands here, like tell them, build houses, plant gardens, that didn't come from Jeremiah. That come from God because he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Now, if today the Lord were to speak to you, most of us, may actually expect him to speak something that is very spiritual, you know, that relates to our spiritual life uh, or relates to some maybe heavenly spiritual secrets that uh, he may want to divulge to us. But if God asks you, go and work, you say, huh? Sounds so unspiritual, sounds like my mother, you know. Is it? That's what mothers and fathers do, huh? Go and study. Ayo. You know, why would God, you know, God, you must be more spiritual. You know, you must talk more spiritually, all right? Why you want to talk about all these daily things like nagging, nagging? Don't you feel that it sounds like nagging? You want to read one more time, you know? All right? Settle down. Plant gardens. 
All right, buy your fields. Ayo, that sounds really like your father, mother nagging you. You know, uh, but why would God talk like that? Just now, I gave you the background to this letter to help you to understand why God actually, you know, speak like this. But more than the reason of why God speak, it is also to reveal to us that if you want to know what your God is like. You know, we always say, you want to know what your God is like, read the Bible. When you read your Bible, what does this letter, for example, reveal to you about what God is like? One of the things that I can see is that actually our life with God, our relationship with God is very deeply intertwined or integrated with how we live our day-to-day life, including how you make your living. That is what this letter is actually saying. Because the people were not settling down. You know, like I told you earlier, some of them may ha- would have uh, brought, you know, whatever possessions of, or valuables that, uh, that they have uh, or they could carry with them. And basically, when they were in Babylon, they most likely maybe ran a place or whatever, and, and they were just living off their savings. They were actually draining their savings. And while they are still okay, but you know, you, you keep on doing that, one day you will come to poverty. You, you will be left with nothing. Because all that these people were doing is daydreaming or hoping. Now, there's nothing wrong with hope, but hope that is just empty hope is not spiritual. Even when we say that we hope in God, our hope is not an empty hope. Because our hope is not based on fantasies, on what we dream life would be. Our hope is based on what God says we should be. And what God says here is that if you want a future, because that's what he says later on. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But what does that mean in reality? You mean H-O-P-E in English will come down from heaven. What does that mean? English letters of the, uh, you know, letters of the English alphabet? How about trying to put it in Chinese or put it in some other language? All right, and then it will come down? Hope in the Lord is always deeply tied with your day-to-day life. Because hope is not just a feeling. It's not just a mind game like, oh, I hope in the Lord, I trust in the Lord, my confidence in the Lord. It's, and it's not even just verbal confession. For these people to really trust in God and really believe in God, they need to settle down where they are. In other words, they need to make the best of their present situation. Because they are already exiled. They are already in a land that they hate. They are already in an environment they don't like. They are already stuck in a situation that they cannot change. Why? Because the Babylonians who were the ones in power says, you cannot go home. You can move around freely here, but you cannot go home. You go home, we will kill you. They have no choice. They are stuck. But because they wanted to go home so badly, they were actually some false prophets 
That's what the Bible that we read just now. Who were prophesying lies and says, Oh, the Lord will take you home. Oh, the Lord will answer your prayer. The Lord will bring you back soon. And God through Jeremiah say, You don't listen to them. Because oftentimes we like to hear what we want to hear. Or rather, we only want to hear what we like to hear. But friends, loving God also means that we trust Him to be with us in whatever situation we are. Like these Israelites. They are stuck in a very unpleasant situation. They are stuck in a situation which actually literally they hate. They don't want to be. So, what do you do? Do you just pray? Of course you pray. But God says, build your houses, settle down, plant your gardens. To translate that into modern day terms is basically is that whatever resources you have, you go and make sure you do something productive with it so that you ensure a steady income. That's what it means. Because for them, whatever they have, they need to... Build houses means you go and use the money that you have or whatever valuables you have. Go and purchase a piece of land. Build your house. Why? Because you need a piece of permanent property. And after that, you need to buy fields. Why? Because that represents work, you know, to get the income from your fields. And not only that, you need to make sure your family also settle down. Because when parents cannot settle down, it would also, that, that feeling would also you know, be transmitted to their children. Your children also can sense that my parents cannot settle down. You are unhappy, they would also be unhappy. And God says, you make sure you take care of your children properly, make sure you get wives for them, get husbands for them, make sure that they themselves also do well, they will have their families. The Bible here says, make sure you increase, do not decrease. What it means is that we all need to learn to bloom where we are planted. Bloom as like a flower, bloom. In life, you do not always get to choose where you are planted. That is a reality. So it is with the Israelites. Who asked you to be born at a time when your nation is facing disaster, facing you know, a, a conquest by a foreign nation? Nobody chose to be born in that time period. We want to be born in a time of prosperity and peace. But too bad, you are born at a time when your nation is facing collapse. And then, you know, you are not at fault. You know, the situation forces you, oh, you're one of the, you're, you're, they, they want to take you into exile. So, so you are forced to go into exile. So what do you do? You cry, cry. Yes, you cry. But after that, after that, you believe that God is with you wherever you are. You know, we sing about that God will never leave us. It's not only that He will not leave us when we are here. He will not leave us wherever we are. Wherever we are, God will be with us. You look at this. God is speaking to people who are in Babylon, not in Israel, you know. In Babylon is a nation that don't worship God. But God says, I am there with you. Because God is a God of the entire universe. There is no way that you are that God cannot be found. If that is the case, then Wherever we are, we need to live our life well for ourselves and for God. 
You know why it is so important to live your life well on earth? Because in this life, if your life is not well, if you are struggling all the time, if you are in financial difficulties all the time, and you know, once in a while, many of us are, are, may face financial difficulty. But if you're in financial difficulty all the time, how can you be happy? How can you serve God with peace? How can your family members be taken care of? Because when God is with us, He really does care for us. That's why He called Himself your, our Father, our Heavenly Father. He, that's what He teaches us to call Him. A father takes care of his children. A father wants to see his children do well. Actually, God wants to see all of us do well. It does not necessarily mean that we will become, you know, millionaires, billionaires, trillionaires, but do well. That in life, you know, wherever you are, you can have a sense of joy, contentment, happiness. That's what God wants for you. And so that's why God says, wherever you are, you need to understand, you must bloom where you are planted. It's a choice. For the Israelites, it's a choice. Do you want to sit there, mop, cry, you know, and uh, bemoan the fact that, oh, why am I born at this time? Why is my country destroyed? Why am I in exile? God, why? You can sit there all day long and ask why. But is that trust? No. Trusting God means, God, I really also, I still don't understand why, I, why I'm here. But Lord, since we are here, we believe that you will enable us to continue to prosper, to live well. We will, we will do more than survive. We will thrive. We will thrive. And even though life is hard, we will, we will work with whatever possible means. That is why they, the Israelites later on, you find that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you have books by Ezra, Nehemiah. You know that, isn't it? Ezra and Nehemiah are the descendants, a few generations, of the people who received this letter. Ezra and Nehemiah are officials of the, of, of the court. They were very high in position in the Persian government because by that time, Babylonian government already toppled and another government has taken over and that's the Persian government. But the Jews, the descendants of the Jews who read this letter, they, their children occupy high positions of power. Why? Because their forefathers, their ancestors received the letter and took the advice. It was difficult. First generation is always difficult. Where you have to learn the language, learn to adapt, learn this, learn that. It's always very difficult. But because they learn it well, and they encourage their children to learn it well. When their children grow up, their children prosper. And their children's children prosper even greatly. Trust in the Lord is to learn to bloom where you are planted. If you can change your life situation, by all means, change. For example, if you don't like your job and you can change, why not? Get a better job. But there are certain things in life you can't change. Can you change the parents you don't like? Some parents also want to change their children, uh, if possible, <laughs> but also cannot, uh, isn't it? Uh, 
And then what if you don't like your spouse? Change. That's, what, that's why there are so many divorces. Change, Lord. Don't like change, Lord. But that is really, you know, copy, you know, actually escaping responsibility. By all means, understand that God is with us wherever you are. Which means also that actually to bloom where we are planted is a choice. You have to choose. You have to choose. You have to say that, Lord, it is hard, but, you know, since I, I cannot opt out, I don't really have any options available, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give my best. Whatever is my responsibility, whatever is required for me to do well, for me to thrive, for me to, to live my life better, I'm going to put my heart and my effort into it. Trusting God requires us to work in partnership with God. That's why in the New Testament, of course, it's talking about planting churches. Paul says that we are laborers, co-laborers. That means with God, we work together with God. And throughout the Bible, that is how life with God is like, is that we walk this life together with Him. We work together with Him. He works, we work. That is what trusting God is like. And so today, look at your situation. Look at your situation. Now, do you pray for change? Yes. We must always pray for change. Why not? You know, if we, it's only natural that, Lord, please change my circumstances. Please change this person. You know, Lord, please let me, you know, see uh, a, a, a better development of this situation. We must pray. But if, let's say, you pray and you pray and you pray, it's not getting better. Situation doesn't change. Then, that means that God is saying, you bloom where you are planted. You take up the responsibility, you take up your part, and wherever you are, you live your life to the fullest. You do your best. Because God has a future for us that we cannot see. Just like the people who received this letter, how in the world would they know that they would stay in the place of exile for so long? They don't know. All they think was that deliverance would come quickly. You know, God would send a deliverer like Moses maybe and then quickly we would go back. No, they stayed there for many generations. But friends, do you know that without an Ezra and without a Nehemiah who held positions of power, the people who wanted to go back later on and later on there was the opportunity to return back to, from exile, they would not have made it. Many people went back when King Cyrus gave the decree later on to say that all of you, you are from whatever country, you can go back. Oh, they were so happy they went back. But the groups of people that went back, they suffered because they had no political power. They were just only a province. They remained a province. They never regained their sovereignty as a nation. They were bullied by neighbors. They were bullied by people. Why? Because when they go back to their homeland, they find that their homes have been taken away by people. Their land has been taken away by people. And they become a landless people. They were there for nearly 80 to 90 years and they still couldn't get their, 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 their solid footing on the ground because the walls of the city were broken down. When you read the book of Nehemiah, it says that Nehemiah wept and cried because he heard the news that his people were being bullied. 
by the surrounding people. And so he cried out to God to send him back. Do you know that Nehemiah built the walls in 52 days, which his people who went back for nearly 100 years could not build? Why? They have no political power. No military strength, no resources. But Nehemiah, because he was properly educated and he knew the language of the Persian government, he was so important, he became somebody that the king, the Persian king, trusted. The Bible says he was a cupbearer. That means he made sure that the food and the drinks of the king do not have poison. And he was sent back by the king as a governor with military power, with all the strength of the Persian government behind him. He was able to build the wall in 52 days that his people who had gone back for nearly 100 years could not build. How did Nehemiah and Ezra become so powerful? Because their ancestors listened to what we have read in this letter. They settled down, they built houses, they planted. And they make sure their children are properly educated. Because in the Bible, when it says that, let your sons marry, make sure they marry. You know, in those days, how do you make sure your children marry? They always go by, uh, you know, uh, recommendation. Now, how do they get recommendation or matchmaking? The matchmaker would come and say, you know, this man uh, has a son. His son, uh, oh, you know, he's such a wonderful young man, you know, and very capable and all that. And then when they go to the ladies, uh, then they go to the man's, man's house, they would say, oh, you know, this lady from uh, Mr. Lee's family is beautiful and uh, capable and all that. And then the idea is that then they will make a great match. But in order to become somebody who is worthy of marriage, you have to be capable, properly educated. For the men especially, you need to have a, tr a skill to make sure you can take care of your family. For the, the women, you make, have, to, people have to make sure that you make a good wife, a good mother. But if, let's say, the people didn't listen to this letter and they let their children know, you know, you want to study, you study. You don't want to study, it doesn't matter. And let them become, you know, ruffians and rascals. And then when the matchmaker comes and says, oh, you know, this Mr. Chan, you know, his son. And then uh, the other family say, and uh, Mr. Chan's son, uh, good at what? Good at computer games. Um, um, uh, good, good, good. Uh, yeah, whatever, whatever lah, but, uh, but still a good man. Lah. What kind of a wife do you think he would get? It's the same thing for the lady. And uh, what, uh, this Mr. Lee's daughter, what is she good at? Makeup. She's very good at makeup. <laughs> Anything else? Shopping. She's very good at shopping. <clears throat> Friends, today maybe with makeup and shopping, you can become makeup artist. La. Not so bad. La, huh? uh. But you see, when the Bible says, make sure your sons get married, make sure your wives get married, what it really meant was that make sure you properly raise them up so that they become people that would raise up good families. They would become people who will raise up a great second, third generation. Spirituality, hope in God, trust in God requires us oftentimes to bloom where we are planted. 
And you will find that actually it's not so bad. It's not so bad. It makes us stronger as a people, whereby the people of God, what are we known for? How are we to demonstrate a life of victory by escaping? Oh, this one no good. Let's, let's, let's go another one. Oh, this one no good. Divorce, divorce. Get another one. Oh, that one no good. Is that what victory means? So that, you know, we change a few rounds and then, ah, at last, I got a good one. How many of us are so lucky? You always get the right thing, the right situation, the right partner. Your children are always beautiful and talented and uh, smart. If victory is always associated with always the good things, then many of us will not be in victory anymore because we often have a lot of troubles. But victory, besides getting all the good things, more than that is also that we learn to overcome. We overcome not by escaping, but we learn to overcome by becoming stronger. We bloom where we are planted. That's why in this letter, the Israelites were told, pray for the city that you are in. Because if that city prosper, you too will prosper. What that means is that when you look at your surroundings, rather than, you know, complain about the surroundings, criticize about the surroundings, why don't you do something that will benefit the surrounding? Pray for the city. That means instead of cursing and cursing, you know, why this is a horrible city, this is a city without God, this is a city, you know, that, rather than complain and curse and get angry, pray for it, bless it, bless it. You translate it to modern day terms, it will be like, you are in a situation you hate. Instead of complaining and criticizing it and, uh, you know, do the, the even more hurtful and harmful things to it, think about how you can be a blessing. If you are working in a company and your boss don't appreciate you, what do you do? I make sure I do the minimal to survive. Because why? He doesn't appreciate me. Why should I work so hard? You can do that. Or... You say that, Lord, you are the one who blessed me. We all believe that, isn't it? God is the one who blesses, not people. Yeah, God used people, but God is the one ultimately who blesses. We will say, Lord, because you are the one who sees what I do, you are the one who will bless me. I will do my best for this company, not because of my boss, but because you see and you will bless me. I don't know how you will bless me, but I know you will bless me because you will see that I have the right response. I have the right attitude. I will not steal from this boss. I will not do anything to hurt this company. Even though sometimes, you know, I feel so angry that these people are not giving me what is my due. But Lord, I will not do that. But rather, I will give my best. I will pray. And by the way, praying is not just verbal, oh Lord, bless this company. No. When... Jeremiah, when God asked Jeremiah, tell the people to pray for the city, it means don't do anything to harm this city. Don't add to the troubles of this city, but rather be good citizens of this city. The Jews would say, why should we be good citizens? They are our enemies. They deprive us of our country and our sovereignty. Why should we be good citizens? God says, no, you pray for it. Seek prosperity of the city. To seek the prosperity of the city means you do whatever you can to help this city prosper. 
That means be a blessing there. In the same way, we seek to be a blessing wherever you are. Whether it be in the company you work with or in the home that you are in. If you feel that your father and mother is not loving you the way that they love your, your brother or your sister, how do you react? You don't love me, I show you. Lah. I also don't love you. You can react like that. All right? But you can also react in another way whereby, Lord, I feel that they don't love me and appreciate me as much as my other siblings. But Lord, I will seek their prosperity. I will pray for them. And I will do whatever I can to be a good son and a good daughter. Because God, you see what I do. And ultimately, you will be the one who will bless me. Even if my parents don't know how to bless me, next time, God, you will bless me. And God who sees everything, He will see what you do. You know, friends, oftentimes we, we say things, we believe, but we actually don't really believe. We say, oh God, you see everything, you are everywhere, you are always with me. And yet, the way we live our life don't really show that we believe that. Because if we really believe that, then why are we living our life in a way that hurt people? In a way as if God doesn't see. Today, this letter comes as a command. It doesn't come as a request. God tells the people, seek, pray for the city, seek the prosperity of the city. Because if it prosper, you will prosper. Friends, this is a promise from God. You do your part, God will prosper you. God will take care of you. And so the first thing you do is decide. You will bloom where you are planted. You're going to change your attitude. You're not going to just surrender to the circumstances. Neither are you going to feel that if the circumstances don't change, you know, I have no hope. No. Whether the circumstances change or not, I will have hope because I will be able to thrive and prosper and bloom where I'm planted. The other thing is that I'm going to make sure that the surroundings that I am in, I'm going to seek His prosperity. I'm not going to add to His trouble. But I will be a blessing there. So that because of my presence, this is a better place. Because of my presence, this is a better home. Because of my presence, this, the people around me have an easier life. That is what it means to seek the prosperity of the city. And then God gave us that promise. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Such a wonderful promise. But you know, that promise is linked to what I said earlier about blooming where you are planted. About seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city that God has put us in. And then God says, I know the plans I have for you. God used an Ezra and a Nehemiah many, many years later. But that is actually the future. The future of the Jews. To give them hope and a future. That's why today you have Israel still surviving. Can the people of those days see so far? They cannot. Just like us. Can you see so far? We cannot. All we see is, oh, why is it like this? Why is it like this? But trusting 
in God, putting our faith and our hope in God, means that today I live my life being fully responsible to God. Doing my best because why? I know I'm not doing it alone. I know I will survive. Why? Not because I'm talented, because I'm smart. I can be all those things. But even if I am not so smart and not so talented, I will survive and thrive and prosper. Why? Because my God is with me. I will always do my best so that when people ask, what kind of a person is she? What kind of a person is he? Some people may say, oh, you know, um, he's, he's not very smart, but I tell you, he's absolutely reliable. We, I'm sure you too, we have, we have always met people who are smart, you know, street smart somehow. Uh, but you don't want to trust those people because they are so smart until they are stupid. <clears throat> yeah? They always try to get out uh, of uh, responsibilities. They always want to do the minimal. All right? And they always like to give empty promises. No problem, no problem. After that, always got problem. <clears throat> Whereby you never trust their word because their word cannot be trusted. Friends, if somebody were to, you know, give you a kind of an evaluation or you give yourself a kind of evaluation, are you someone that people can trust? Is your yes a yes? Is your no a no? We just now sing, uh, God's promises is yes and amen. My promise, no and no, amen. <laughs> if God's promises is yes and amen, and we are supposed to be like God, isn't it? Come on, we are all supposed to be like Jesus, man. Huh? We need to conform to the image of Jesus. Are our promises yes and amen? If you promise something, is your promise reliable? Now, some of us think, what's that got to do with, do with spirituality? Are we talking about leadership here? No, 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 no. I'm talking about life with God. If we say that we want to conform to the image of Jesus, how are we like Jesus? Blonde hair, blue eyes, uh, the hair like put got pantene, one shine, one can wave, soft wave, uh, that kind. Uh, and then hold a lamp and then smile. Jesus don't even really look like that. Uh. So how are we going to be like Jesus? How are we going to be like Jesus? Jesus' word is yes and amen. Our word must be yes and amen. If I promise you something, that promise holds true. That is why if I cannot do something, I try not to promise it, not even to a child. Because you want your second generation to be people who love God, who are trustworthy. How will they learn? They learn it from you. That's why even for children, we, I don't make empty promises. If I say that I'll take you shopping tomorrow, I make sure I take them shopping tomorrow. If for whatever reason, I cannot, you know, something happened and I couldn't do it, I will go to the child and I will tell them why, if possible. Or at least I will say that, you know, I'm very, very sorry, but I, you know, really I cannot, but I will take you another day. And then I make sure you put it in your diary when is the other day. 
so that it's not just an empty talk. Another day, another day, the, the other day never come, another day never come. No. Because we want the children to also know that when daddy says this, he means it. When mommy says this, he means it. She means it. It's never empty. Making an appointment with a child is as serious as making an appointment with your boss. You put it in your calendar. Because why we are all getting forgetful. Too many demands on our time. We don't want to say yes to somebody and then, you know, next minute we forget. So, like for me, you know, we are all, I'm getting old, really old, you know, 61 already this year. <laughs> Coming to 61. You know, the, the ability to forget is amazing. <laughs> yes, amazing. You know, just talk here, turn around, can't even remember. And now it's getting frightening when, you know, things that, you know, somebody was telling you, you know, we told you, we talked to you about this, you no know, long ago. It's like, really, man? <laughs> Last time, at least you, you can say, like, oh, yeah, but now it's like, that never occurred. You know, it's, it's getting to be that frightening. So what do you do? You know, as far as possible, you know, I always try to write it down or put it, you know, put, basically put it in your phone. Put it in your phone. Put it in your phone. Because I know I will forget. And I don't want to become a person whose word cannot be trusted. So that if once in a while, you know, really I forget, people understand, you know, she's usually reliable, but, you know, really she forgot. And not because she is an unreliable person. Why do we work so hard at that? Because we want to please people? No. But because we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. God is planning our future to give us a great hope, a great future. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us. But He also asks us to work together with Him to bring this wonderful future to pass, to be a reality. So, with all that God has given me, I want to be able to say, Lord, help me to, to work with you. Help me to join hands with you so that the future you want for me, the plans you have for me, will become a reality. And that I will be able to look back on my life and say that, well, you know, I can't say that I'm a very successful person, but it's a good life. It's a good life. It's a good life. And I have tried to live it for God. Today, what is your situation? If you can change the situation, by all means, seek to change. If it's possible to change, why not? But if you find that you can't change, if you find that you are stuck, then you need to learn to bloom where you are planted. Let's arise as we pray. Friends, the Word of God is written so that we may see how God works in his people and for his people in the days long ago. But the reason that the word is written for us is because how God works oftentimes is the same in different environments, among different people, in different generations. But the ways of God are oftentimes the same because his heart 
is always the same. He loves us. He has our best interests at heart. And in one sense, the world is also the same. It changed outwardly. The packaging keeps changing. But inside, the core is the same. Human beings still face problems. Human beings still face pressure. Human beings still find themselves in situations that they hate. In situations beyond their control. That Those things remain the same. The sinfulness of human beings bring a lot of trouble. The failures of those that are around us, failures of leaders of nations, still the same. Like the Israelites of old, their kings fail them. But what do you do when your kings fail you? Cry. You can cry, but it's not going to solve the problem. But rather understand that we really, really do have a king that is above all kings. And that how we live our lives before Him is not just determined by the circumstances around us, but rather how we see our lives evaluated and measured in His eyes by Him. How would God evaluate you? How would God see you? When it comes to giving a report, giving an account of our life, what would that account look like? God does not judge us for what we cannot do, but God does hold us responsible for what we can do. And today, God is challenging us to live for Him in this world. To live for Him in a responsible way, to put our trust into action that indeed we can trust Him even when we are like the Israelites living in a place that you absolutely hate and you can still thrive and prosper even in that situation and that's what God wants each of us to know that victory is not just a change of circumstances but victory is also a change of ourselves so that we become even much stronger than ever before whereby we are not defeated by our circumstances, but we rise to become more like Jesus because of our circumstances. This evening, God is inviting us, inviting us to come and be a laborer together with Him. He works in the world and He's asking us, join me and work in this world. Join me. And let people see that the people who have Jesus really live their lives differently. Would you respond to this call? Respond to the Lord. Join Him. Join Him and say, Lord, I'm not going to live my life defined by my circumstances, but I'm going to live my life, live it well in spite of my circumstances. Join Him. Join Him. I'm going to pray for you now. You just raise your hands where you are and I'm going to just pray with you. Yes, I see the hands. Yeah, raise it to the Lord. Yes, I see those hands. Yes. Yeah. Just raise those hands to the Lord. And as you raise those hands, you just tell the Lord again, 
Just bring your need to the Lord again. Just tell Him your situation, your circumstances, your fears, but also look to Him as your hope. Raise your hands. Father, this evening, Lord, you see the hands that are raised to you. Lord, hands raised in expectation, in trust, in faith, in hope. Friends, hands that are raised because we begin, we are now believing. And we, those who have believed, now we believe even more that, Lord, you can help us to prosper in spite of our circumstances. Because you have good plans for us. And today we claim your promise that your plans are plans that will prosper us. Plans that will not harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. Lord, we claim that promise for each and every one of us today. Especially for those whose hands are raised. Lord, whether we are praying for ourselves, our family, our business, our job, our relationship, our family members, in everything, Lord, we put our trust in you. Lord, that we will prosper because, Lord, you are with us. You will give us a great, great future. And Lord, today I just ask for added strength for those who are struggling because, Lord, you know, sometimes we are tired. We have hope, we have faith, but sometimes, Lord, we are tired. Lord, I ask for added strength for those who are tired. That your word that says that you will renew our strength like eagles. Renew our strength now. And Lord, I pray for those who need really a divine intervention. A miracle in their circumstances. I pray, oh Lord, that you will be pleased to grant that miracle. Lord, you will be pleased to intervene. Because, Lord, you works in miraculous and powerful ways. And Father, today, therefore, we look to you once again and we declare, you are our Abba, Father. And Lord, we trust in you. And because we trust in you, we will live our life well for you. We will choose to live our life in a way that honors you. We will choose to live our life in a way that is responsible. We will be people who will learn to keep our word. We will be people who will seek the prosperity of our surroundings and of, our, of the people around us. Because Lord, you will use what we do to prosper us. And therefore today I ask, let your blessing come. Let your blessings come and fall upon us fall upon hearts that are softened and open before you.